go ahead and have a seat. Good morning. For those that do not know me, my name is Jake, and I serve on staff here at Village as the youth director, and I am always thankful for any opportunity that I get to come and be able to speak here on Sunday morning and open God's word with you all. Before we begin this morning, I want to mention two things briefly. First, I can officially say fundraising for Village students for camp is done. Praise God, right? Over the last few months, you guys have bought raffle tickets, you bought donuts once, and then I asked you to buy them again last week, and you did that too. You sacrificed your waistline and your money, so I appreciate that. But I just wanted to let you guys know that because of your generosity, we were able this time to raise the most money we ever have in Village Students history. We were able to raise over $9,000 towards Village Students Camp, which that equals me being able to tell 29 students you don't have to pay for camp, which is amazing. So thank you, thank you, thank you for everybody that participated in that. You are helping to give students a week that can change their lives for eternity. And if you want to know who, I can point you to some students that are Christians today because of camp. So thank you for that. Second, I want to wish everybody, every person here that this qualifies for a happy uh, non-birthing person's day. Right. <laughs> Oh, is that wrong? Sorry. Happy Father's Day. That, that, that's it. That's it. Okay. We got it. Sorry. 2023 messes me up sometimes. But happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. I can tell you that apart from being a husband, there's not a title or a role that I enjoy more or take more seriously than that of being a father to my daughter and my son. And fathers, I just want you to know and I want you to hear it from me that you are vital that you are vital to your wife, that you're vital to your kids, and you're vital to the life of this church. And I want you to know that I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you as you are discipled yourself. I'm praying for you as you disciple and lead your families because we need fathers to lead in a time such as this. But this morning, the greatest gift I can give to you is to preach the gospel to you. So that's what I'm gonna do. And that's where I wanna turn this morning. This morning, we're continuing in the book of Joshua. If you were here last week, you saw that the Israelites had this amazing moment of overtaking Jericho, that the chosen people of God had this victory that they had not had yet going into the promised land. And it was an amazing high moment for them. But what we're going to see today is that that moment comes crashing down with a crippling defeat. And that crippling defeat is due to something that you and I struggle with on a daily basis, and that's sin. In this case, it was secret sin. And what I hope that we see through God's word today is that the holy and righteous God that we serve sees our sin. And the consequence of that sin is far greater than we could ever imagine. But that God has made a way to deal with our sin ultimately. So with that in mind, let's open up Joshua chapter seven. We are gonna do our best to make it through a whole chapter this morning, God willing. Starting in verse one, it says, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah took some of the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. 
So about 3,000 men went up uh, there from the people and they fled before the men of Ai and the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gates as far as Sherebim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads and Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that be, we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say? When Israel has turned their backs before their enemies, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Point number one this morning, you do not define obedience. God does. You do not define obedience. God does. See, this passage opens up telling us of a great problem. See, Israel had broken their covenant with God by taking what the text tells us is devoted things. And we see that this is referencing specifically a man named Achan. And Achan had taken these devoted things from Jericho. Now, these things that are mentioned here, we find out later in the passage were items such as a cloak, a bunch of silver, and a bunch of gold. But this is a major issue. Since God had specifically told the people what to do with the items that they had found in Jericho. This goes back to Joshua chapter 6, where God tells his people in verse 18, But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So what this means is that when Achan stole from Jericho, he was not stealing from Jericho. He was stealing from God. And friends, stealing from God is a problem. And God is going to deal with that in this passage. But the next thing that we see in the passage is Israel is looking to continue their conquest of the land of Canaan. And they come to the city of Ai. Now, the city of Ai was not as big as Jericho, and we can see that from the text. You see, Joshua sends out spies into the land and says, hey, I want you to come back. Tell me what you see. Tell me how many people are there. And they come back to him and they say, Joshua, there's not that many people. Like, we don't even have to send but a few thousand troops and we can go in, destroy them, and keep moving. And that was a great plan until they executed it. They go into the land and they get destroyed. It was so bad that 36 of them died. It was so bad that they didn't just leave the city. They got chased out of the city. Israel has been embarrassed to the point where it says that their hearts melted. And that wording is very important because I want you to remember back before they overtook Jericho. In the book of Joshua, we see that Rahab uses the same phrase to speak of the people in Jericho when they looked at Yahweh. It said that they melted before Yahweh. But now, in a strange turn of events, the people of God are melting before Yahweh. You see, what's happening here is because of Achan's sin and the tragedy that his sin was, God is judging Israel. That in this moment, the Israelites have become like Canaanites. 
that God is not there to protect them and therefore the only thing they can turn to is the same thing that the people of Jericho turned to, which is fear. But if you notice, the melting did not stop with the Israelites, but it can be seen most notably through the actions of Joshua and the elders. See, Joshua here is overwhelmed by grief. I think sometimes we can read this passage and think he's just crying, but I don't think that necessarily is the case. I think Joshua in this passage, think about where he's been. He is overtaken for the greatest leader Israel has ever known. He's led them on the conquest in Canaan and he's seen God already do two miraculous events. And they get to this city that should have been easy and they should have just gone in and kept moving, but instead they get destroyed. And so Joshua is sitting there saying, what is gonna happen? How would Canaan ever take him seriously again? How would they ever be feared in the land? Did God bring us to this point only to destroy us? What would God do to renew Israel? What would God do for his great name? But after he does this and the elders do this, I love God's response. I'm pretty sure I've said this to my kids this week and you probably have too. It's two words, very powerful words. Get up, get up, stop whatever you're doing, stop. But what is God saying? He's saying, listen, stand up. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. This is important. Stop whining and find out the reason. And so then that's where God tells them about what had occurred, that Israel had forsaken God by taking what they should not have taken. And so it's tempting with the passage like this to summarize it by saying, okay, Jake, I think I get what's going on here. Don't steal. Stealing is bad. And then you put your Bible down, you had a great study, and you move on with your day. Right? Sometimes that's what we do. And this is what I want to say to all the parents in the room. If kids, if you're in here, stealing is bad. Don't steal. Adults in the room, stealing is bad. Don't steal. But I think if that's where we end on this passage, we are missing the point completely. Because the passage is about more than just stealing. And so I want us to look and see that Achan here is guilty of breaking many of God's commandments, even in the Ten Commandments. You see, do not steal is in the ten, and he stole. But also, do not covet is in the ten, and he coveted. But there's one that's even, that includes all of those things together. And it's the very first commandment that God gives to his people. And that's Exodus 20, verse 3. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, you may be saying, Jake, where were the idols in breaking this commandment? I didn't see him worshiping any idols. I didn't see Israel worshiping any idols of any type or form. And friend, I'm going to tell you to look into the mirror, like I would tell Achan to look into the mirror, and there you find your idol. There he found his idol. You see, he was idolizing and worshiping himself in that moment, that he obeyed his own will over the will of God. And that's of vital importance, not only for Israel at that time, but for us today. And here's the reason. Whoever has authority defines obedience. I want to say that again. Whoever has authority defines obedience. And so we have to look at scripture and say, who has authority? See, Jesus didn't leave this up for debate for us. That even in the Great Commission, we see Jesus claim authority. But I want you to look at the Great Commission through the lens of obedience. Check this out, Matthew 28. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Did you catch it? Jesus says, all authority is mine. Therefore, you go. And what are you to do? Teach, disciple, but what are you supposed to teach them? To obey and observe all that he has commanded you to do. You see, whoever has authority defines what obedience is and authority demands obedience. So if Jesus is your authority for you today, that means that you do not get to define what obeying him looks like. That means that if God's word tells us something is sin, that thing is sin. That it does not matter how bad your anxiety is right now. It does not matter how chaotic your kids are. It doesn't matter how stressful of a week you've had. It doesn't matter how much you feel you deserve it. And it doesn't matter if you felt like you were even born that way. It is sin because God said it was sin. But it's not just that. It also means when we look to God's word, we see a command to obey that's not optional. You see, that command for obedience doesn't mean that you get to translate that however you want to translate it. It doesn't mean that you, have to, you don't have to do it because it's difficult. It doesn't matter how much it goes against who you are as a person, that we obey God's commands not because we say so, but because he has the authority to say so. See, the tragedy of Achan is that his recent experience had no impact on his actions. I mean, think back to Jericho. What did Israel do? They marched around the city. They blew trumpets and yelled. Wow. You did so much, right? No, God did everything. That Achan had just seen God destroy a stronghold in Canaan. He had just had this mountaintop moment with God. Then God says, just don't take anything from Jericho. And if Achan would have just trusted God for a bit longer, if he would have trusted in his authority, he would have gotten what he wanted. I'm gonna give you a spoiler alert for next week if you're here. When AI is eventually defeated, guess what? Israel gets to take of the spoils of the city of AI. You see, God is a gracious God, but Achan lost sight of the generosity of God, of the God that he was supposed to be serving. See, friends, God alone won that victory at Jericho. God alone delivered the Israelites over and over and over and over again. But what Achan did is he saw a move of God. And when he saw that move of God, he took credit for himself. He stole from God. And in doing so, he spit in the face of the ultimate authority in his life. And friend, let me just be honest with you. When you sin, you do the same exact thing. And that's a problem. And the end result in this passage is tragic, just like it will be for us. But it's important for us to understand, which leads to point number two this morning. Disobedience only leads to destruction. Disobedience only leads to destruction. I want to pick up in verse 19 to give you a recap of what's been happening after the verses we read. God commands Joshua to go into the camp and find this person. He gives them very specific commands on how to find that person. And he says, when you find him, you need to execute him. So that was the payment for the sin. 
And so what we see is that through the direction of God and the casting of lots, Joshua is led to the tribe of Judah. And then he's led to a specific clan in the tribe of Judah. And then he's led to a household in that tribe. And that's where we pick up in the text. Verse 19, it says, And Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, and then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the Valley of Acre. See, here we find Joshua confronting Achan on his sin, to which Achan actually, to his credit, fully confesses here. And it says this confession brings glory to God, but it only brings glory to God in the truth that the truth has finally come to light, that Achan's sin has finally been exposed. Friends, did you know that God is glorified by truth? God is glorified by truth and he will not allow sin to endure forever. But did you notice what he did with the stolen goods though? This is how I know he knew what he was doing was wrong. What did he do with them? He took them home, he dug a hole and he hid them. So he sins, goes home, hides those potentially from both Joshua and the leadership and from God. That is foolish, right? That is a foolish thing to do to think that just by burying this stuff that you can hide it from God. And although we may see that as foolish, we like Achan can also hide nothing from God. You see, scripture over and over again shows us that there is nothing in your life that God does not know. You may say, Jake, how do you know that? Let's turn to Psalm 139. Starting at verse seven, So what it says. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. Friend, let me tell you this morning, you may think you can hide your sin from everyone, but the scariest fact in your life shouldn't be the people in your life that know your sin. It should be that there is a God, a holy and righteous God that sees everything. Nothing about you is hidden. Scripture describes in other places as, as we are naked and exposed before God. So you can hide from everyone, but you can't hide from him. He knows everything. And so Joshua in this moment sends messengers to retrieve the goods and they're brought to Joshua and Achan's brought out to meet his destruction due to his sin. But this is where the story turns much darker and I hope that you caught this in the text, but if you didn't, I'm gonna read it. I'm gonna go over that again. You see, it wasn't just Achan that was brought out. 
It wasn't just the goods that he stole. See, apart from that, his oxen were brought out, his donkeys, his sheep, all of his belongings, his tent, and then the one that's really bad, his sons and his daughters. Everything he had was brought out. You see, Achan's entire world is about to be judged for his sin against a holy and righteous God and his family would not escape the judgment. And I think this brings us to a critical warning in the text. Friends, your disobedience will bring destruction on you, yes, but that destruction is not limited to yourself. That we see this even through the first sin through Adam. You see, through Adam's sin, sin was spread through all time to all men. This is what Romans 5, 12 tells us. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So through that, we can see that sin has the capability to destroy everything in its path. Everything. And sin has the capability to not only destroy us, but everything within our reach and our path. You know, your sin just starts with you. But if you keep going, it will affect your marriage. It will affect your family. It can even affect this church. And we found out from this passage, it can even affect a nation. Sin is serious. That Achan brought the stolen goods home. That when he brought those home, he condemned his own family because he made them sin with him. That he didn't leave his sin there. He gave them an execution sentence along with him. So friends, do you really think that your sin is any different? Your sin's always gonna start with you because it does. Sin's personal. It's always gonna start with you. But it doesn't end with you if it goes unchecked. That it will affect every single aspect of your life until you have nothing. I can tell you after being in ministry for a while, I've seen many a marriage and families be destroyed because the father or the mother chose disobedience to God and sin over obedience to a holy and righteous God. And Aiken's learning this the hard way. But friends, the good news of the gospel and the good news I have for you this morning, if you're stuck in sin, is that it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to end that way. Look at Romans 8, 12. It says, so then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See friends, the only way to defeat sin in our lives is to wage war. But we wage war not on our strength, but on the strength of the Holy Spirit working through us. But that means that we no longer see our sin as a house cat. We see it as a lion that's at your door waiting to devour you, your family, your kids, and everything you know. Have you waged war to that point with your sin? You see, we declare war on our sin because we know our sin has a great cost. And that leads me to my last point this morning. Point number three, God demands a payment for the forgiveness of sin. God demands a payment for the forgiveness of sin. Pick back up in verse 25 of Joshua 7. It says, and Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Acre. 
You see, this punishment was not arbitrarily mandated by Joshua, but this death sentence was a direct command of God. This goes back to a passage we didn't read initially, but I'm gonna read it here. Joshua 7, 15 says, and he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. You see, Achan faced God's judgment by not only being burned with fire, but all of Israel stoned him and his family. You see, Achan's sin had affected not just him, but the entire nation. And so it seems only fitting that the entire nation of Israel is the ones that are bringing the judgment onto him on this day. But it wasn't just Achan. We said this before. It was everything. Everything he owned, his entire family, they were stoned to death and burned with fire. So that all that remained of the house of Achan after this event was a pile of ash and a heap of stones. That this event was so prominent in Israel's history that the valley where this took place in the original language was called the Valley of Trouble. That it served as a reminder to Israel of what was going to happen if they decided to be God on their own. But when we look to the text, that's not the only reminder that we see. That I can't help but see a connection here between another monument that we saw earlier in the book of Joshua If you remember, they had 12 stones that they placed on the bank of the Jordan River at the beginning of Joshua that stayed there to this day. And then when you look at this text, you see that they put stones over top of Achan's body and that remained to this day. And so that means that those things were set in place to remind Israel of two very prominent but different things. The 12 stones on the banks of the Jordan reminded God's people that he was with them that it signified that God was with his chosen people and that he was going to work among his people. But then the stones over the body of Achan served as a reminder to Israel that the price of sin against a holy and righteous God is severe and the ultimate penalty for that is death. So be warned. So if you look at the text again, you'll see when was God's anger immediately relented? As soon as, as Achan's family was consumed. It says immediately God relented. Why? Because a payment had been made. Achan had to die for God to be with his people of Israel once more. One commentator put it this way. There could be no victory over the enemy without removal of the curse. And friends, that's not just the nature of God in this moment. It's the nature of God for all of eternity. Think back to the entire Old Testament sacrificial system that has served as a reminder to Israel and to us that our sin cannot be hidden from God, that our sin is hideous, but in the sight of a holy and righteous God. That when we look at it, it is a bloody mess but ultimately the sacrificial system, the Old Testament was a foretaste of a greater sacrifice that was to come. You see, God showed us the ultimate price for our sin when he sent Jesus. But the difference with Jesus and Achan, Achan had plenty of sin, but Jesus had none. Achan deserved it, Jesus did not. See, Jesus was the perfect and spotless lamb of God. Yet Jesus died in your place so that God's wrath towards your sin would be appeased. This is what Romans 5 tells us, starting in verse 15. It says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. 
and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Friends, please, if you hear nothing else I say this morning, hear this. You and I are aching. That you may not have stolen physical things, but we all in our sin have stolen from a holy and righteous God. We've taken glory for ourselves that we like to get as much of it as we can and ignore him in our sin as much as we can that we have committed the same sin. And guess what? That sin still brings the same judgment on us that we deserve not only death in this life, but death forever. God will not let our sin go unpunished. But what that passage in Romans tells us is that because of Jesus Christ, you have been given a gift. It's a gift you don't deserve. It's grace for your sin. So like Achan, we have stolen from God and we were justifiably condemned before him. And friend, this morning, if you do not know God, that is your path. But deserving of death for all eternity, you were heading to destruction. But if you, like me, have come to know Jesus, there was a day my freshman year of college where I was on my college campus and I all of a sudden put all of it together through God's word. And in that moment, I saw my sin for what it was. I saw the thing that was out to destroy me and my family and my future. And Jesus showed me, I have made a way for you. And I've made it through my blood. And so friends, when we're looking at the gospel, look to the cross and see your savior dying for your sin that you committed against him. Whenever we look at the cross, we should see us, that it should have been us up there. But Jesus redeemed us because of his great love for us. And so because of that, I gave Jesus the rightful seat on the throne of my life. I stepped down and I said, Jesus, you are what I obey. You are the person I obey. You're the one I look to. You're the one who owns my life and my future and everything that I am. I've given it to you. And friends, if that's you, if you have given that to Jesus, then your next step is to wage war against any sin because you see what it costs Jesus. But past that, if you're married, think about your wife. Think about your husband. If you have children, think about your children. Think about this church. Think about your community group. Think about your discipleship group. When you are tempted to sin, don't play with it. That's what Achan is trying to show us in this passage. That's what God is teaching us. Be warned, your sin can destroy you. So don't play with it, wage war against it. So friends, I ask you, do you have that attitude towards your sin? If you don't, then you haven't looked at the cross enough. Look at the cross, see the cost of your sin, see the good news that Jesus paid it, but then leave from this room today and declare war on your sin. Why? Because the gospel is worth it. A couple application points this morning. Number one, stop defining obedience to God by your own standards. Friends, we, we've all done this in some way. We've read a passage and tried to form it into our own lives and make it what we want it to be. That's not what God commands us to do though. God tells us to look at what he says and obey it, even if it costs us a lot. 
Second, remember the great cost of sin against the holy and righteous God. These passages should serve as a reminder to us that our sin is not petty, it's destructive. Do you see your sin in that way? Do you see the sin that you commit on a daily basis in that way with the ability it has to destroy? Third, don't leave sin unchecked, wage war. Don't leave sin unchecked, wage war. That today is the day to repent. Today is the day to say no more for the sake of you, your wife, and your children, no more. Fourth, treasure Jesus Christ and the gift of your salvation daily. I was convicted this week when I was thinking through, when's the last time I just stopped what I was doing and I just said, Jesus, thank you. Like you've given me a gift I did not deserve. When's the last time you did that? That should be something that we come to daily, that we remember daily. Remember that we've been given a a gift of salvation, that we deserve what Achan got, but Jesus took that for us. Friends, treasure Jesus because he's the only thing that's worthy of being treasured to be in with.